Shabbat Shalom. There are um, a lot of disappointed people in the kingdom of God this day. But I'm here to tell you that God is in control. And we need to understand that. We need to live in that. You know, even if our country that we love fundamentally changes, I'm here to tell you that God is still in control. You hear what I'm saying? God is in control. God is going to do something. And we are called to believe that, to believe in him, to put our faith and our hope in God. And uh, I want you to pray after me. And I'm going to, if you have your Bibles, we don't have a PowerPoint today, I don't think, right? No PowerPoint. Um, you could start and head in your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 1. And it's a prophetic picture of things we're seeing in our world as well. So pray with me. Avinu Malkenu, our Father and our King, give me eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to perceive, and the will to obey your word, which I hear today in Yeshua's name. So chapter 1, verse 1, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. Selah. Habakkuk had a complaint. He had a complaint to God. Where are you? How come my prayers aren't being answered? How come justice doesn't happen? If you're like me, you know, I don't know how many times I've seen over the years all those Senate meetings that they have, you know, people doing illegal things, and they have those meetings, and no one ever gets punished. You and I sneeze the wrong way. We'd be behind bars. They'd throw away the key. You'd never see us again. Right? Habakkuk sees this in his day. God, where are you? God, where's justice? God, don't you hear me? And God replies. Verse 5. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. 
Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. Now, if you read that like I read that, and you were Habakkuk, you would say, what <laughs> is going on, God? You're going to do what? You're going to use who? You see, in verses 2 through 4, the prophet voices his complaint to God. He doesn't understand what's going on, and he wants to know why things have turned out the way they have. And I don't know, there's probably a couple of us out there today that have wondered why things have turned out the way they have. You see, this prophetic message burdened the prophet. And it burdened the righteous in Yehuda. They were burdened by injustice. They were burdened by what they saw, violence all around. How could the righteous king, Josiah, remember him? The one who brought revival. How could he die at the hands of a pagan king? He did. How could Jehoiakim ever reign in place of Josiah on the throne of Judah? How could you swap out the righteous for the unrighteous? Habakkuk's un, he doesn't know. He's confounded. He's burdened with the apparent success of the wicked, and he sought to unload his burden upon the Lord. Through Habakkuk's questions, God spoke a powerful message of hope and deliverance to the people of Yehuda. And I pray that he speaks a powerful message to you today as well. You see, the prophets were essentially preachers delivering a message from God to the people. And in fact, it was a message that was meant to transform their audience's thinking and behavior. Because too often, as the people of God, we think and believe and move only horizontally. Only intellectually. And not vertically. And so the prophet, in the midst of his horizontal mess, turns to God. And God speaks a surprising word. Because sometimes in our lives we feel that God is not there for us. If we're honest. 
We feel let down. We feel disappointed. It could be at the loss, the loss of a loved one, a tragedy, or the very situation we find ourselves in as a country. However, despite what we might think or even feel, here's the truth. God is in absolute control. Don't think he's not God. The one you serve and I serve is in absolute control. Let me give you a little more background on what's going on in Habakkuk's day and see if it corresponds to our day. The world was not looking good. Danger was lurking from a formidable power in the Kazdim. It was time of great upheaval. The Assyrian Empire was crumbling and the Babylonians were gaining power. Judah, Habakkuk's home, was about to be put into captivity. The place he loved, the place he lived, the place he grew up. And it was a time of ruthless conquest, bloody suppression, and merciless tyranny. Sound familiar? What does that mean? It looks grim to the prophet. But God's in control. As you can see, Habakkuk and his audience are not really dissimilar to our situation. With all the happenings going on in our world, I don't know if you noticed that they're censoring free speech these days. Thousands of people's, if you're into it, which I'm not, but if you're into Twitter <laughs> and Facebook, those platforms are just coming down all over the country. And whatever side you fall on shouldn't be the issue. The issue, the way our way of life is changing before our very eyes. But here's the good news. God is in control. Habakkuk was struggling with his faith. Maybe you're struggling with yours. If we're honest, we struggle with our faith from time to time, and time to time we offer our complaint to God. Habakkuk did. And when he did that, it appeared that God appears to be absent. God appears to be absent. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you're not here. Or cry to you, violence all around me, God. 
and you're not saved. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. The law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. What's up with that, God? That's the prophet. And maybe that's you today. Four things we see from the prophet's complaint is, how long until you hear my prayer? You've ever asked God that one? How long until you hear my prayer? <laughs> Anyone? I've had a couple of those. How long? How long must we endure? Right? Why must we suffer at the hands of evil people? And why is justice not taking place? Those are all questions we ask, if we're honest, all the time. There are plenty of accounts in Scripture when it appears God is silent and absent in times of trouble. Job experienced God's silence. Think about it. While Job's friends were piling on and hammering Job mercilessly, God was silent. And so did Abraham, as he planned to sacrifice Yitzhak, he experienced silence. You know, those three days were the longest days in Abraham's life. Actually, the Bible doesn't record God talking to Joseph in prison. Nor Yochanan the Immerser before his beheading. Actually, there are more examples of God's silence than we may be comfortable exploring. It's not uncommon that when we experience God's silence that we are tempted to be discouraged and doubt God. However, sometimes God's silence is an opportunity to lean in even more deeply into God's heart. I believe that's what Habakkuk did. He didn't understand what was going on, so what did he do? Did he look horizontally at the mess and the turmoil and the trouble around him, or did he look up and lean into the heart of God? By the way, let me ask you a question. Maybe you know the answer. How did it turn out for Job? How did it turn out for Joseph and Abraham? Turned out okay. Even though God was silent in their most desperate of times, it turned out.
It turned out even though they had to endure those many, and we know this, those many uncomfortable hours and days and even sometimes years of God's silence. I got to be dead honest with you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't get it at all. I would want to desperately hear from God if God asked me to take my son. I'd be stretching my ears to hear. And I would be gravely disappointed after day one and day two and on to day three that I've heard nothing, not even a whisper from God. You see, the question posed to God is why must the righteous suffer at the hands of evil people or suffer injustice at all? Right? Why? And the simple answer is, is because there are many in our world who do not love and serve God. Matter of fact, there are many in our world, if not most in our world, who loathe everything about God and what he stands for. This is not dissimilar to the time of Babel, right? When men wanted to throw, we don't need God. We'll build our own way to heaven. We don't need him, right? And God had to temper their enthusiasm and say, no, my friend, that's not the way this works. What is he saying in that story? You know what God is saying? I'm in charge. I'm in control. And you need to know today that God is in control. In speaking to his Talmudim, Yeshua spoke and said, I have told you these things so that in me, say in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. If it stopped there, that's a bad verse. But it doesn't stop there. It says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Guys, in this world, when you look only horizontally, there's trouble. As a matter of fact, there's trouble every single stinking day. But don't be depressed, depressed or discouraged. Look up. Because I've overcome the world. And in me, you could find peace and life. So we too can take heart when we understand we can't overcome the world by ourselves. In fact, we can't do anything without Yeshua. The Shaliach asks a question but then answers it when he writes, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Yeshua is the Son of God? Only believers can overcome. Right? They overcame by the word of their mouth, right? The power of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb. 
Friends, sometimes can I be... <laughs> Here, you want, look at me, everyone. I'm going to give you my politics right now. Look at me, right in the eye. I'm going to be political. The rabbi is going to be political. Ready? Look at me. They're all evil. Power and money and prestige corrupt, and they corrupt totally and utterly. And too often we as the people of God want to find some hope in a man, in a movement, in an institution. Friend, don't make that mistake. Because I know sometimes it seems like they throw us a bone. Or they do something good for us. But friend, let me tell you this. The only one that will ever do you right is God above. And I'm not saying we shouldn't pray, we shouldn't pick, listen, the lesser of two evils and any of that stuff. You do what you will. But that's not where our hope comes from. That's not where we are going to live victoriously. We're only going to live victoriously as we put our faith and hope and trust in the eternal kingdom, the kingdom that will never fade, the eternal messianic kingdom of our Messiah and King. That's just the flat-out truth. See, what's being said here is that although there is trouble in this world and in our lives from time to time, we can have and maintain peace in him. We can live and walk in divine shalom when we make Yeshua the centerpiece of our lives and when we place our faith in him. We are often tempted to, like I said, trust all these other things. But friend, they're going to eventually fail us. They're going to fail us over and over and over and over again. Yeshua is calling us to look to him and trust in him. And especially when things appear to be going awry. And things appear like they're going awry. I've never seen a world that I'm seeing today. Never seen it. Never would have even thunk it possible. And yet here it is. So we better get our vision right. We better be looking at the right person. We better be, have our ear tuned, not to CNN or Fox, or whatever you listen to, but to Yeshua HaMashiach and the Word of God. It's the only way, friends. Yeshua tells us, I want to say this, truth is, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Have you been born of God? You'll overcome. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Because Yeshua overcame the darkness, we too can overcome this present darkness. Friend, I don't know, so many people, I hate to, I'm just not going to be blunt with you, have your hands stuck in the sand. So a lot of people still think it's about COVID. Friend, COVID's the least of our problems. It's about this present darkness in our world. 
that, friend, if you're spiritual, it's freaking palpable. It's palpable. And we need to be trusting God, looking to God, calling on God, getting strong in God, building our faith. Listen, you might like to read the newspaper or the sports section or whatever you dig, but at the end of the day, the Word of God is the only thing that's going to strengthen your spirit to face a crazy and evil world. We overcome the darkness through the glorious light of the Besorah. We overcome the world through our relationship with Yeshua. We overcome evil by living righteously in the face of malevolence. And we overcome the world by our testimony and the atonement of Messiah. Let's go back to our text. Because after Habakkuk's complaint, God answers. And this is what he answers. The Almighty God is in control. The Almighty God, realize, you have to understand, the prophet cries out to God and he gets an answer that absolutely blew him away. Who is going to, who's, what's going to come down on us? You're going to use who and what? It's almost unacceptable to the prophet. God goes on to tell Habakkuk, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Then he goes on to tell the prophet that he is going to use the most unlikely vehicle for his working by using the Kazdim. Now listen, don't get caught up in the details because this is a different situation. But God always has, and I suspect always will, use the most unsuspecting people and circumstances to accomplish his purposes. So I know you might be thinking you got it mapped out and you're likely wrong. That God is going to deliver this way and you're likely wrong. God always, throughout the book, uses the most unlikely people and the most crazy of circumstances to work his purposes. Think of it, how many have picked, would have picked Rob Shaul or Shaul, the persecutor of the Messianic community, killing believers to lead the movement? How many people would have picked a little boy with five loaves and two fish to be an example of faith? What about Matid Yahu, a tax collector? to join his righteous cause as they were known for corruption? Or what about Yonah, a man who ran from God as an example to us? And what about David, beloved David, an adulterer and a murderer? God used them. And then Rahab a prostitute of all people. Would you have picked a prostitute? A murderer? An adulterer? I would have came up with a different list. And then how about this? Here we are on Shabbat, right? Next to Yeshua, who is something that we as Messianic Jews 
look to so much. Moshe. So God chooses a stutterer to go and broker the deal for the release of his people. How many would have picked him? Here's the truth. God's thoughts are not always congruent with our own. But just because God does things that are outside the box, your box, they're not outside of God's box. God will use things that you will never think of. He'll use people, he'll use circumstances, he'll use... Know what this means, friend? God is in control. It's what he shows us through all this. He's in control. When fear and doubt try to enter your mind and heart, you need to remind yourself that God is still in control. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. He doesn't think like you. He doesn't think like me. You think, and we think sometimes, we got God down. That we don't. God's going to do it this way. I bet he won't. Someone wrote, this passage of scripture assures us that God knows what he's doing. His thinking is different than ours when it comes to what is best for us. And his ways and everything he allows are so much higher and better than ours. Despite what we see around us, we can take a pause and refocus on what really matters. Let the big things become little in the hands of God. We sang it today, Tehillim 73, my heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Even in the most dire of situations when our own strength fails us, God is still present to help. God, his grace supports us and sustains us. He strengthens our soul through every trial and even in the moment of death, he conquers the grave. Our souls are safe and secure in the Lord's hands. He is indeed our portion forever. Forever. His faithfulness is going to outlive the tent of this body. His faithfulness endures forever in your life. He said this in Yochanan 14, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. 
I don't give to you as the world gives. Do not, hear this, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Here's why. Because God is in control, we can trust God in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. Because God is in control, we can trust him for our future. Because God is in control, we can trust him for our children and grandchildren. Because God is in control, we can forgive and love those who sin against us. Because God is in control, we can pray in faith. Because God is in control, we need not fear for our nation. Because God is in control, we can trust that he is working all things for our good. Because God is in control, we can trust that he will give us grace for everything that we go through. Because God is in control, we can give thanks for and rejoice in all things. Because God is in control, we can do things without grumbling and complaining. Because God is in control, we can pursue holiness and sanctification in the fear of the Lord. Because God is in control, we can trust that God will lead us and guide us into all truth. Because God is in control, we can trust God that he will conform us into the likeness of Messiah despite our weaknesses and our failures. Because God is in control, we can trust that Yeshua will build his kehilah and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that you could take to the bank. Friend, we're not part of an earthly kingdom. We're part of an everlasting, eternal kingdom. Our government does not rest on the shoulders of Washington, D.C. It rests on the shoulders of Yeshua, the Messiah. The government, it says, rests on his shoulders. God's eternal government. This was true for Habakkuk, and it's true for us as well. No matter what we see or hear around us, we can be confident that our God is in control of every situation and in control of your life and your destiny. And I want to tell you this, we might see some crazy things moving forward. And the worst thing you could do is only look horizontally. You gotta look to the Lord. Because I'll tell you what, the devil tempts you to look horizontally. Because that's where he looks strong. Because he manipulates nations, he manipulates people, and he looks powerful horizontally. But once you see him, you say, well, he, he's not so powerful. He's not looking that strong now. Because I just glimpsed into the eyes of the king of glory. And Satan is nothing in comparison. So what does this mean for us? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for me? 
It means our God knows what we need even better than we know. It means he's in control of our lives as we surrender to him, of course. Therefore, we must resist trying to tell God what he should do as if we know better than he does. We must learn to sit and be quiet in his presence. Allow him to speak to our hearts and then receive, receive, receive the encouragement he gives. And hear me, take notes. When God speaks to your heart, shut down that scripture, shut down that word so you can look back on it and remind yourself that God is speaking to you. He's encouraging you. Allow God to be God. Pray, believe, and allow God to work it out his way, which may or may not be what you were expecting. I want you to be open for whatever transpires in our future. Because things might go down a little differently than you expect. But God is in charge. God is in control. Someone said this, maybe we need to become the student and stop trying to be the teacher. I'm going to close with this poignant illustration. Years ago, a military officer and his wife were aboard a ship that was caught in a raging storm at sea, which is a horrifying thing, by the way. I've been on a rough sea, and it's very unpleasant. And seeing the frantic look in her eyes, the man tried unsuccessfully to allay her fears. Suddenly, she grasped his sleeves and said, how can you be so calm? And he stepped back a few feet and he drew his sword and pointing at her heart, he said, are you afraid of this? Without hesitation, she answered, of course not. Why not? He inquired, because it's in your hand and you love me too much to hurt me. To this he replied, I know the one who holds the winds and the waters in the hollow of his hand, and he will surely care for us. God is in control. He holds you in the hollow of his hand. You're written, inscribed on his hand. Our only job is to know that. The wife knew it. She knew it. She had to do anything to do. And we need to know it as well. You see, the, the man knew that God got him. God had him. We all need to know that.
that if we were in that dire situation where it looks like, man, this is curtains for me, that God has me in the hallows of his hand. That's real world. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's now. It's the things we're watching on TV, the things we're feeling. It's all happening. It's yeah, with the, everything that's going on in our world, this is the rubber meeting the road. And we have to respond to God. I know that he has me securely in the hallows of his hands. And that, hey, no person is in control. God is in control. And I think that once we consistently ignore every other voice, we will be able to truly rest in the peace of God that gives a peace that is unfathomable. I shouldn't be peaceful, but I am. What is that saying? Peace comes from knowing who's in control. God's in control. And God has you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That one sentence is why David was successful. (laughs) And if we live out that one sentence, we'll be successful too. Let's pray. Avinu Malkeinu, our Father and our King, Lord, I thank you for it, Lord. These are precious people, Lord, each one valuable, God, to you. Lord, you love so deeply. God, you're so concerned for their souls and for their hearts and for their lives. And Father, I lift them before you, God, and I pray, Lord, that you would invade their hearts and their spirits. God, that you would encourage them. Lord, that you would cause them to look beyond, Lord, the confusion of the natural and earthly. Lord, to look at the peace of God in heaven. Lord, that they would look up, God, to see from whence their help comes. Father, I pray for each one, God, for every situation, for every heart, for everyone who's afraid and concerned, God. I pray and plead the blood of Yeshua the Messiah over their lives. Father, I pray for divine healing. I pray for divine supply, God, to be upon their lives, that you would provide for their every need according to your glorious riches. But, Father, most of all, I pray for their hearts and their souls. And if there's anyone watching me today who has not yet made Yeshua the Lord and Savior of their heart, You could simply repent from your ways. Say, God, forgive me for doing my own thing my own way. And I surrender to you, Yeshua. I believe in you, Messiah. And I acknowledge you, your lordship in my life, and I'll live for you all my days. If you do, pray that simple, simple prayer. God will change your life and give you peace that surpasses understanding. God, be with these, your precious ones. Lord, do things, Lord, that will blow them away in their lives. 
Show them, God, how to live that higher life in you, Lord, that they would always live victoriously. And I ask it in Yeshua's name. Amen. Stand to your feet. I want to bless you. We have good news so far that uh, Moises' father, Ignacio, made it through the surgery. Baruch Hashem. He's still, you know, obviously in critical condition, but believing God for a full recovery. Amen? Let's bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Father, I pray, Lord, that goodness and mercy... Lord, would follow you people all the days of their life, all this week. Lord, that you would keep them in health, that you would provide for their every need, that you would give them wisdom to walk this world in white. And Lord, that you would, Lord, sear into their spirits that you are in control of their life. And we ask it all in Yeshua's name and God's people said, amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Shabbat shalom.